0: In this episode, I feature Marin Hassinger. Her career spans four decades. She uses sculpture, film, dance, and performance, and public art. In the mid-1980s, she relocated to New York after being invited to participate in the Artisan Residence Program at the Studio Museum in Harlem. She has also worked as an educator for 20 years as the director of the Reinhardt School of Sculpture at the Maryland Institute College of Art in Baltimore. Marin articulates the relationship between nature and humanity, carefully choosing materials for their innate characteristics. She has explored the subject of movement, family, love, nature, environment, consumerism, identity, and race. Wire Rope has played a prominent role in Marin's artistic practice since the early 1970s when, as a sculptor placed in the fiber Arts program at UCLA, Marin used material to bridge the gap between the two disciplines. She has been commissioned to make work for Sculpture, Milwaukee, Dia Bridgehampton, Socrates Sculpture Park, the Hirschhorn Museum and Sculpture Garden, the Rockefeller Foundation and the Aspen Art Museum, Marin is the recipient of a Lifetime Achievement Award from the Women's Caucus for the Arts. Her work can be found at the Art Institute of Chicago, Baltimore Museum of Art, Los Angeles County Museum of Art, Museum of Modern Art in New York City, the Smithsonian's Hirshhorn Museum, Walker Art Center in Minneapolis, and the Whitney Museum of Art in New York City, among others. Marin was also one of the artists featured in MoMA's incredible exhibition, just above Midtown, Changing Spaces. The exhibition was from October 2022 through early February 2023. Enjoy this episode featuring Maren Hassinger and visit CerebralWomen.com for additional information. Maren, welcome to my podcast. I am excited to feature you. Thank you for joining me. Let's start with, when did you discover your artistic passion?
1: I wasn't passionate about art, I was passionate about dance, and I had taken a lot of dance classes from the time I was five years old, mostly modern, some ballet. I wasn't really happily accepted in ballet <laughs> classes because I wasn't very technical. But then I went. I applied to Bennington College, I got in. I thought I was going to be a member of the dance department. I went and started taking, you know, the classes that they have every day. And I had a counselor because all the students there have counselors. And I had a counselor who was the accompanist for the dance classes. And one of the husbands, uh, I think of the ballet teacher. And he said to me, you're probably better in art. But I'd only been there like a week or something, I think. I mean, it really was there a very short amount of time. And he said, I think you're better in art. So with that, I realized I was not going to be able to get a degree where my major was dance. And I wanted to stay there. I really liked many of the things about that place. It was in this beautiful countryside of Southern Vermont. There were no grades. There were very few students. They were all women. I think there was like maybe 300 students or something. We all had these wonderful teachers who were professionals in their own right. And we had very small classes and we had no grades. We only had reports written up. I mean, it was a place that I didn't want to leave. Although my dad probably would have liked it because he paid like so much money, he freaked out every time I, I talked to him. That's all he could say. But no, I went there and I couldn't be part of, you know, what I wanted to be part of. But I was welcomed with open arms by, strangely, the art department. I still don't exactly understand why they did that. But I guess they saw something that I didn't even know about.
0: So fast forward, how would you define your practice?
1: I hope that my practice at this moment, if people go to see it, will provide them with a moment of solace in the crazy, cantankerous world that we live in.
0: Who would you say has had the most impact on your practice, encouraging you to become the artist you are?
1: Well, at Bennington, there were uh, a couple of teachers who were really, really good. And then when I graduated from there and came to UCLA, there were were others who were very, very good. So I would say that there were three mentors who were really, really important to me. One was Isaac Whitkin, who was my primary sculpture teacher at Bennington. And the other was Pat Adams, who was my drawing teacher at Bennington. And then when I graduated and I went back to Los Angeles, I went to UCLA for graduate school and I tried to get in the sculpture department and they wouldn't accept me. And I thought, well, this is the height of insanity. (laughs) I wasn't trying to be like, oh, I'm the greatest sculptor in the world because I don't think that. But I had taken on this sculpture from this really wonderful knowledgeable person in this incredible undergraduate institution, but the guys in the sculpture department, and I do think that some of the existing students who I think maybe were all, or at least primarily men, they didn't accept me. And I don't know whether that was because of my gender, race, or they just hated my work. I mean, I have no idea, but they did not accept me. So there was a man named Bernard Kester, who was the head of the fiber structure department, and he was opening a new master's program. And he, I guess, got a hold of the slides from the people in Sculpture. And he's saw my work, and he really was very interested in me joining his group. And so I said, great, because I had thought, I wasn't thinking of, you know, well, I'm getting this degree, you know, I'm going to be a hot artist, blah, blah. I was thinking, oh, I can have this degree, and then I can go and get a teaching job, and then I'll be able to, you know, teach to support myself so I can make this art that I want to make. So I knew I had to get an MFA. There was no way I was going to even, anybody would even look at an application for a teaching job. So Bernard Kester came up to me and asked me if I would join his program, which is a very small program called Fiber Structure. And I could get an MFA, yes. And I would be working with, you know, maybe five or six other students. And I thought, hey, okay, let's go. (laughs) I'll get that MFA, you know. And then that was the greatest thing that ever happened to me being not accepted by those guys in a traditional master sculpture class. That was the best thing that ever happened in my life. Not only was Bernard just the loveliest person, he was, oh, he was funny, he was smart, he knew his subject, and he was so kind to all of us. And all of us were girls. Now, I don't know why all of us were girls. I mean, it was open to everybody. But somehow... It was all girls and nobody understood exactly what fiber structure was. But for me, it became, you know, lugging around these gigantic ropes that I went down to the docks to find, you know, the, the shipping docks to find, and, you know, all of this. And then finally the wire rope, which I discovered in a junkyard, which was, you know, I had to be careful at first because I didn't know how to use it, that it didn't hit me in the face and decapitate me, you know, I was, There was all of these sort of wild and crazy materials, you know. I still don't understand why there were no men in that class. But, you know, it meant a lot to me. It meant everything to me. And Bernard was the most supportive person ever. We adored him. The students adored him. And he had a great sense of humor. And so it was fun.
0: Are there concepts or thoughts that connect your work?
1: Love. And... What I mean by that is we're very overly concerned about etching out places for each and every one of us amongst our particular group or whoever we identify as our particular group. And I'm really not interested in particular groups. I'm interested in all of us together moving forward. And in that regard, I think that we all have to realize between us all Love, I'm not talking about romantic or sexual love like that, but respect.
0: While you're working, do you think of who your audience is? No,
1: I don't know who it is, so I don't think about it. Yeah, but that's true. I really don't think about who's gonna be looking at this. I think about what it is I'm trying to say with it, or whether it's appropriate for the location it's going in. You know, I don't falling apart. Because it's very fragile and fabric that's blowing in the air currents. But I don't want to do that if the thing is going to be outside in the desert. So, you know, the site of the thing really helps me decide what the materials are. And then once I've kind of decided on on those materials and I know about the site, then I formulate the concept based on that. And the concept isn't always the same. But in general, the concept is what I believe in life, which is that we are all here together. And basically one place, the earth is a very small place now, and we're all related. I mean, people will go around saying, well, you believe different from me, and you look different from me, and you you know, have this different kind of ritual in your life. But basically, I, I do feel we are all related. And I would like to
0: live my life that way. It's easier. Let's talk about the materials that you use. Can we talk about the material you enjoy working with the most and the one that you enjoy working with the least? Well, the materials that I enjoy the most are wire rope, and I have
1: a lot of history of dealing with that. I started out being a sculptor and undergraduate. I went to graduate school wanting to be a sculptor, somehow ended up in fiber structure. And then I discovered while I was looking through a junkyard, a piece of wire rope that was falling apart thrown in a corner in a trash heap and I thought wow this is really interesting you know this is steel but it's fiber and so I brought it back to class and everybody was interested in it and my professor was very taken with it because he was always interested in how fiber was going to evolve off the loom and he could see that it was fiber it was all these it wasn't fabric or yarn, but it was all this wire wrapped around a core, which is very much the way if you want to do a rope, or, you know, a piece of fiber rope, or if you undo even something you're knitting or crocheting, you see that it's, you know, it unwinds and then there's a center to it. So anyhow, wire rope is rope. It was developed for bridges. It's rope-like, so it's flexible. And it's made like rope is made, like the parts that circle a cord. And they went to make the Golden Gate Bridge. They needed this very flexible but strong thing. And I I believe why rope was invented
0: for that. What material do you least enjoy working with?
1: I'll try anything. So I I can't say I have a least material. (laughs) Somebody said, well, you have to make this out of mud. I go, oh, hmm, interesting. There are materials that I won't handle because they're too advanced. And, you know, you I don't want to get like anesthetized by them or something or killed. So in that case, I stay away from these materials that are toxic. And I think there must be something better than that that I can use because that shouldn't be in the
0: environment at all. I'm going to ask you a question that I usually ask painters, and that is, how do you know work is finished?
1: When I first was in college, and I believe amongst my first pieces, when I first discovered wire rope, I um, got this piece. I think it was probably an inch, at least an inch in diameter, a long single length. I looked at it and I thought, well, what am I going to do with this? Because I was in this fiber classy. Somehow, And I think I had the help of classmates or other people, or maybe it was my husband at the time. Anyhow, we took both ends and it was a real long piece, you know, real long piece, like maybe five or six feet long. And we took both ends and we pulled them together and then bound them off a little bit above the, the bottoms of where the two pieces were coming together so that they would hold together without flying apart again. It had a mind of its own. It's very strong. It holds up bridges, you know? So not this particular size of it is holding a bridge, but, you know, it has that quality of being totally unbendable and, you know, a mind of its own and all that stuff. So we have this smaller diameter, which might have been an inch, an inch and a half or something like that. We pulled it and we tied it off. And then I just looked at it, and I thought, well, what am I supposed to do with this, this big thing that's a big loop and kind of tied off on the button? And I was in the weaving class, so I thought, oh, well, I'll just open the ends and weave them together. And that's what I did. So now I have this big piece called interlock, and it's like a signature piece, really. And I've forgotten. It's in a collection now. I think it was from like 1973 and it's in a show at the Art Institute of Chicago coming up soon.
0: Do you listen to music while you're working?
1: No, I don't listen to music. I watch TV. Do you have the TV on while you're working? No, I only watch it when I want to relax.
0: Do you feel black art can be defined?
1: No, because I don't like the term black art. I don't like the term white art. I don't like the term any kind of art other than art. (laughs) I'm an artist. The other people who claim to be artists are artists. As far as I'm concerned, it's without gender or race or ethnicity or sexual orientation or whatever things that people use to divide each other. It doesn't have nothing to do with that. And really make that the centerpiece of your discussion with me. I cannot stand that stuff. There is not this kind of art and that kind of art and this kind of art and that kind of, it's art, which means that it's your, the artist, feeling about what it is for you, the artist, being alive. It doesn't have to do with everybody else who's alive necessarily. It can, but it doesn't. It has to do with your individual expression, and you know how rare that is in the nature of things these days. That's important. Art is the most important thing you one can do because it's those few people who are taking the time to just talk about anything, any way they want to talk about, it, in the most personal way or the most general way. And our social system doesn't allow for that. It allows for artists, but it it doesn't necessarily, necessarily say what those artists are going to do. And that's what I think artists are doing. I think they're talking about the situation, you know, they're kind of commenting on what it's like to be alive now. That's what it is to be an artist. The commentator, being eva- not the evaluator, just, you know, this is what it's like to sit here being me now. You know, these are the issues that come up for me now. It can be very specific or it can be very general, but that's what artists do. And what do you feel is the purpose of art?
0: Just that, commentary.
1: It's a record of a commentary about the time you're
0: living in. What are you excited about right now?
1: Well, um, I'm getting ready to go uh, to London with my assistant and my art dealer, Susan Inglet. My assistant is Cole Palatini, and we're going to London for an art fair and. It's the first time I've ever done anything like that, and we'll see what happens. Yeah, I mean, it's it's fun I like to take it out of the States and see what else is there.
0: What do you enjoy most about your practice?
1: I guess thinking about what's in the world and what I might do in relation to that. But that's thinking. I'm not a real happy about putting everything together. I used to be happy about it. Mostly I used to do things kind of by myself. And uh, lately, I've been fortunate that I, I have an art dealer in Susan England, and she sold things, and I'm able to have assistants. So I have two assistants, Cole Palatini and Josh Leff. We get together quite often, making things together, and then Josh is also responsible for cataloging and storing all the things I've made that I still have which is an incredible task because there is a lot of it.
0: What does your workspace look like? What does it feel like?
1: First of all, I live in an area in New York City called Harlem. And I am very fortunate in that I live next door to a little park, which is, I think, a city-owned park or something. But it's it's a a green space right next to where I live. So I can look at the windows and I can see trees and people with their little dogs running around and things like that. Upstairs is like a two-bedroom apartment, and then you come downstairs, you know, in the same building. I mean, it's all part of my apartment. I think the people who were here before, I think they might have been brother and sister, but they used to have parties down here in the area that's now my studio. So it's long and rather narrow, and the ceilings aren't, you know, I guess seven or eight feet. There are fans. We don't have any real air conditioning, but we have two windows that open and a doorway that opens to the outside that leads to a little pathway that goes in the back. And so we have a little outdoor space behind it where Cole is actually working outdoors now, working on some projects. And then indoors, we have white walls, really long, very clear white walls that are about eight feet high. And uh, a clear floor that has like uh, something that looks like wood on the floor, but it's actually a kind of synthetic floor covering. But it, it's not obnoxious. It it looks like wood. Yeah, so that's the space. And then within that space towards the rear window where there's plenty of ventilation is a tabletop that has the screen on and rest of the computer on it. It's, a, it's a, like a desk, but it's a really very simple table. It's
0: fortunate that you have outdoor space.
1: Oh, it's amazing. For New York City? Oh, yeah. my goodness. And most artists' outdoor spaces look so work-oriented. I mean, you know, like they'll have black top on the ground. Well, we have, like, gravel, you know, gray gravel and trees. It's great. Very great. I'm very fortunate.
0: I've really enjoyed our conversation. This is our last question. You sort of touched on it. But if you care to elaborate, what do you feel is your role as an
1: artist? My role as an artist is to make good art. And by good art, I mean the best I can, given my mind and my education and my experience and my skills. And that art is meant for everyone because
0: I live with them. Thank you for the work you do. Thank you for your time. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. It was fun. Thank you for listening to Cerebral Women Art Talks Podcast. For additional content, please visit CerebralWomen.com and be sure to follow Cerebral Women on Instagram.